Hello, modern-day warriors, analog kids, blacksmiths, artists, philosophers, and plowmen, and welcome to Podwork Angels, The Rush Hour, a podcast dedicated to the rock band Rush. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your co-hosts here. You may know me from the Cinema Joes podcast as well. And joining me is another one of my Cinema Joes co-hosts, Noah France. Hello, Noah. Hey, Justin. Hey, Chris. Good to be back. Good to be back with you. Well, unfortunately, we do not have our other co-host, Luke Martin, the host of the Talking Dakota podcast. Uh, he's currently stuck in a time standstill. But we do have our special recurring guest, now that he's done polishing his armor and the charger in his garage. It's Chris Mancini. How you doing, Chris? Hey, what's up? Good to be with you. Thank you both. Wasn't for ready for that time standstill reference there. <laughs> Caught me off guard. Well, guys, we are here to discuss, as we always do, each of Rush's studio albums, our general thoughts, songs we like, songs we don't, favorite lyrics, and favorite musical moments. And uh, we're going to be switching up our format a little bit. Uh, Up to this point, we've been discussing one album per episode, and for the next four episodes, we'll actually be doing two albums at once. Uh, Now, you may be wondering, why are we doing this? Well, For one reason, this is a period of Rush we're maybe a little less familiar with, the period from 1987 to 2007. Um, And even though we have heard this, like we have heard these albums and we do have thoughts about them, we kind of just want to make sure that we're not repeating ourselves in the commentary. I think it'd be easy in this period for some of the songs to sort of bleed together a little bit. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't think there isn't good stuff here or that we think that this period of the band is somehow inferior. Um, it just means that we'll be making our picks from two albums instead of one. So it just gives us more songs to uh, to pick from on each episode. Uh, and we'll still be doing our general thoughts and a little bit of history for each album. So that's still going to uh, remain the same. And I think we're also very open to discovering new things in this period. I know I certainly have been, um, you know, up to this point, I think I, this was really the chance for me to listen to these albums and totally focus on them without doing something else, which I think was, uh, which I think was quite beneficial. So for today's episode, we'll be covering Hold Your Fire from 1987 and Presto from 1989, their 12th and 13th studio albums. Uh, so just a little bit of history here for hold your fire rush is deciding to work with peter collins again this of course is the producer they worked with on power windows he really like brought in the synths very heavy he was all about soundscapes you can hear that in in his other work with other artists um and because rush had (laughs) more of a budget at this point they were able to record this in multiple studios both in canada and in the uk and they really did make extensive use of synths and electronic accompaniment, just as they did on Power Windows. Also, a lot more drum samples, which were all triggered organically by Neil on his electronic drum kit. And there is a little bit as they're finding, <laughs> as they're finding with this album uh, and with Power Windows, the touring is proving a little bit of a challenge just in trying to get a new, uh, trying to get the technology to work for them. But one thing that they've talked about, and Getty talks about this a lot, is how they really wanted to make sure that all the electronic sounds that they were getting, all the patches, were all, again, all triggered organically, whether it was by, you know, hitting the key of a synthesizer or hitting a pedal. Um, so it was about triggering that stuff in a way that still felt like they were playing. Like it wasn't just, you know, hitting a, hitting a button and just letting a track run. That was something they wanted to avoid. But it also required a lot more technology for the band. So luckily, they're a lot more successful. They can actually uh, afford that <laughs> at this point. Um, and overall, Hold Your Fire is one that the band seems to like quite a bit. Um, I don't know if the fan reaction to that has has matched that. Um, I'll be curious to hear what the three of us think of that. But overall, they seem to really like it. When they go to Presto, this is a return to Les Studio in Morin Heights, Quebec, where they did quite a few of their albums, including some classic albums. And this is where they stop uh, working with Peter Collins, which was actually not their choice. It was Peter Collins's choice. And it wasn't because of any acrimony between the two, but because Peter Collins just wanted to branch out and work with other people. Um, So they end up working with a guy named Rupert Hine, who had worked previously with people like Stevie Nicks and Tina Turner. And this is really more of a return to the guitar-driven sound. 
Um, Hold Your Fire is largely considered the last album in their synth period. I think you can really hear that on the in the songwriting and a lot of the song structures. But at the same time, this is one where the band's a little more ambivalent and uh, maybe even a little bit negative. In fact, Getty in in interviews has talked about he has to like kind of really consult his memory banks in order to remember <laughs> this album. That said, all of them seem to really there's one song they all really seem to like and was a concert staple, which is The Pass. Um, and I think the subject matter of that song, which we'll probably get into uh, during the course of this, I'm guessing, um, was probably a result of that. So, yeah, this is the last, you know, the last uh, hurrah of Rush in the 80s. These are two albums that, you know, I don't know if they're considered among their best, but I'm curious what you guys think about these. So, so Chris, why don't you start us off? How do you feel about Hold Your Fire and how do you feel about Presto? Hold Your Fire definitely felt the synth presence there (laughs) i would say to the point where i feel like they lost some of the a lot of the guitar aspect and makes sense that we see that shift between hold your fire and presto Uh, i'm not saying yet whether that's good or bad um but (laughs) um i think uh i was kind of surprised i think on both albums I found a lot more good than I thought I would find. <laughs> uh, again, I guess because like I figured, hey, I'm less familiar with these albums, and like there's nothing that made it onto like the greatest hits album besides Force Ten, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but as I was kind of listening to them, I definitely found some good things, and uh, at the very least, there weren't many songs where I felt like oh, this is just straight up bad. Um, So did find some stuff that I felt was at least interesting in the direction they took. Maybe it's not exactly what the direction that I would have wanted them to take, but still found some songs to enjoy from both albums. Yeah, that's that's that sounds pretty fair to me. Um, how about you, Noah? What is your familiarity with these albums? I I wasn't quite sure if you knew these before. <laughs> before no, uh, not we really. This. Well, I mean, yeah. I did. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned in one of our other podcasts that I did. I did a rush listen through, maybe a year and a half ago, where I just I went through the whole discography and listened to every album once. And we're s- similar to you guys. We're this is entering into the period of their career that I really had no previous it i like previously i had only ever heard basically the first half of russia's discography and the most like the last two or three albums like like starting with vapor trails um and stuff like that so this was this was this was a big black hole for me until i did my listen through a while back um but i can't say that the albums really stuck with me and so when i listened through to both of these albums for our for um this recording that was only the second time ever that i was hearing anything from the album i i kind of got to got to echo what what chris is saying and not none of them like we're still not at a point where i feel like anything that we're we're listening to in these albums is bad uh but some of the stuff is forgettable or it's just not <clears throat> It doesn't have anything surprising in it that stands out, uh, which is kind of which is which is kind of what I expect from Rush. Like like we've had stuff that didn't work for me before, but it was still interesting. Like they were doing something weird uh, with the sound or they had they had picked some bizarre like fantasy subject matter for the lyrics. And it was fun to talk about that. So like like even the stuff that maybe didn't work, there was interesting stuff to to latch on to in some of the earlier albums. This is like I. I think you I think you put it best like these are albums that can bleed together and a lot of the tracks within the albums can bleed together. So we'll, we'll get into a, a little bit of detail later on. But that's my general takeaway. Um, I had listened to these albums once previously, but it was like I was listening to them all over again when I went back um, a couple of days ago to to prep. Yeah. Yeah, and I I hate to be boring, but I think I have to echo both of what uh, you gents are saying here. Um, I would say in general, I like I like both of these albums. I was surprised that I probably liked them more than I expected to. Um, but maybe a case where it's a I kept thinking of this phrase. It's a low ceiling but a high floor, um, where there's very little that's outright bad, but also maybe not as much that I would call great or something that I really love. Um, I, I think that hits it on the nose. Just yeah, like 
Yeah. Like there isn't a ton of, like you said, no, I think there's like a lack of surprise here. Um, and I think it's a case where, you know, we love this band so much that maybe we expect a little bit more. So it's almost like you almost wonder if they're, we're like grading them on a curve or, or something. Um, so with all that said, I will say I do quite like a lot of the choruses on both these albums. I think they're very catchy. They really get stuck in your head. It's usually the first thing that pops in my mind when I see the song title. Um, but I do think they're a lot more memorable than a lot of the verse sections. And I think when the songwriting is not necessarily very experimental or um, ambitious, I think it does make that contrast stand out a little bit more. Um, I probably would say of the two, I like Hold Your Fire a little bit better than Presto. I think it has a very interesting soundscape. Um, But at the same time, I wonder if maybe Hold Your Fire is missing the hard edge of previous Rush albums. And I think that's something they've managed to have even on some of their synth-driven albums. So I think it really does stand out even there. Yeah, and and Presto, while I do appreciate that it's returning to the more guitar-driven roots, I think you can tell that like from the very first song on that album. I also think, again, songwriting-wise, it feels like they're kind of trying to rev up again or something. Like It feels like they haven't quite... They're not quite at that same level that they were. Uh, and I know Getty has even said that he thinks of Presto as a warm-up for Roll the Bones, which uh, I guess we'll bear that out when we get to that album. <laughs> um, so yeah, I know it feels like I know I say I like them and then I'm, you know, offering a lot of criticism here, but I do think there's a lot to like on here. I just think it's a matter where there's more things that I like, uh, things I think are good. There's less that I love and less that I think is great. I think if I were alive at this <laughs> time, 1987, um, and I had been a Rush fan up to this point, I probably would have felt a little bit let down um, getting these albums. But But I still think there's a lot to like and I'm sure we'll get into it. I so Justin, I heard you say that you felt like the courses were were good, but maybe like you wanted more with the verses. Was that specifically for Hold Your Fire, or did you also think of that for Presto? Honestly, I, I think like, it would apply to both. Interesting. Yeah. I felt the opposite with Presto. I really liked the verses, and then when it got to the chorus, sometimes there were things where it was just I guess we'll kind of get into it later, but <laughs> I felt some of the chorus was like a little cheesy or corny uh, and, for certain songs. <laughs> and it might be a case, yeah, because I, I might it might depend on the song because there there are definitely songs where I'm like I'm like struggling to remember what the verse section even is, and then I get to the chorus, I'm like, oh right, this is <laughs> this is what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, well, well, I'm curious what which songs you might be referring to. So we'll start with our limelight section. This is, of course, where we talk about uh, songs that we like uh, or that we think are over are underrated or overlooked and quite a bit to choose from here. So uh, I'm going to ask you, Noah, to start us off here. What song did you want to put in the limelight? All right. Well, I went with Second Nature from Hold Your Fire. I think this was one of the songs that I enjoyed the most and that I can see my I could see myself going back and listening to. Um just on its own sake in the future. I actually, just before we started recording, I re-listened to it just, just to confirm for myself that that was going to be my pick. Um, it, it's a mixture of, I think it, I think it has some of the best examples from hold your fire of what you, what you're talking about, just in the soundscape that they are trying to create. So it has for me, some of the best in the sounds of that album. And I also think it was one of the more lyrically, interesting songs as well i'll be touching back on this song again for our words in the prophet section and when you just get right down to it i liked this song and a couple of other songs from this album more than anything on presto so there was just nothing on presto that um came into play for this pick so i that that's my pick second nature it's just second nature to me i I have to stop at least that's how you feel (laughs) yeah that's how i feel i i go back and forth a little bit on this song like it's one where it's uh I kept thinking of this word as I was listening to both these albums. I'm sure, Noah, you remember when I would complain about songs being too mellow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. I I, I, I know what you're getting at. Yeah, and I guess that's that's a little bit of my feeling on this song. It's just like a little too muted for for me. But, um, you know, I still think it's interesting. Um, And and I I guess that's why I say I go back and forth on it. There's there's parts of it that I like, maybe parts of it I, I don't like as much. 
Um, but certainly one that is, I think it is one of the more interesting songs on the album regardless. So Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Justin. I felt like the first half of Hold Your Fire was 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 very good. And then maybe this one was like the lowest for me of the first half songs. Probably still better than the second half of the album for me anyway. All right, so I'm going to go next for my limelight pick and i'm going to be sticking with the same album and also the same half (laughs) um i'm going to give a little bit of love to open secrets which is the third song on the album this is one that again i you know i think the first two songs on this album are like pretty big hits so they were ones i was very familiar with and this was one that felt a little bit more like a discovery to me i just really love the confluence of sounds on this one and i really dig for for an album that is kind of lacking a lot of alex's guitar i really dig the recurring guitar riff on this song um i love how it keeps coming in and intruding and i really like i like the content of the song i mean that the song title itself is kind of an oxymoron right open secrets um but it's very much a, a plea for being open and vulnerable with those closest to us and i just really appreciate um the sort of intimacy of that and what it really requires to be open with somebody i think it, the the song really captures that and at the same time it has a really nice momentum to it um the synths are really driving the music here and i think you can tell right from the beginning of the song uh and at the same time you actually do have a guitar solo which is nice um and that segues not too long after that into a really good bass solo that goes to the end of the song so i just think there's a lot of dynamics on the song i think that it's really good subject matter um it's just one that gets lodged in my head it has almost like a haunting quality to it um and uh yeah just one that i really i really dug and um for me it's like a it's a rush song that i don't think of as being you know the kinds of rush songs that i tend to like this is very much in the synth camp in the peter collins school <laughs> of of songwriting and arrangement and i think you know there's lots of good stuff there that even that that rush can do i think it's them you know stretching themselves and doing it in a successful way this approach is not always successful to me but on this song it very much is That's sorry whenever you mention uh peter collins i just envision a hybrid chimera <laughs> of peter gabriel and phil collins <laughs> <laughs> non-genesis fans are not supposed to know the secret <laughs> we don't talk about that band on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> that said uh open secrets yeah i definitely um this was definitely like a gem for me because i definitely hadn't heard this song before going back to it and uh, uh yeah i similarly enjoyed it as well we will be coming back to this song. Okay, I look forward to that. So it seems to me that you chose something else then, Chris. Where did you want to take us? Well, I went with pick that is probably not shocking. The way I was introduced to Rush was through <laughs> a Greatest Hits album. And on that album was a song called Force 10. And uh, even after hearing both albums, it's still the song that stands out the most for me. And I think... On the Greatest Hits album, it's up against some like really amazing songs, so it was hard for it to stand out there. And so I felt like I grew an even greater appreciation <laughs> for this song, hearing it on you know an album on its own. And the craziest thing to me is that reading through how the song came about, it was written on the very last day of pre-production as like a a fill-in song basically and it's insane how good it is <laughs> compared to at least in my opinion compared to the other songs on the whole fear fire album it starts off with noises that kind of conflict with each other like you had you start off with a like with a choir and then there's like construction noises and then laughing um so it kind of like pulls you in and you're like what what the heck's going on here? I want to find out more. Um, and then it kind of gets into this really fast tempo, uh, really like lively music, um, really like steady bass, uh, some really solid guitar, uh, and then really interesting shifts from the verse into the chorus where he's talking about the eye of the storm. 
and then like things kind of like calm a little bit and so i really liked that shift when mentioning the eye of the storm since that tends to be like the least chaotic um part of the storm so i liked how the music reflected that um and then interesting like they do different things with the chorus like they have this like digital echoey voice in like the second part of the chorus and then like the third part um there's a little bit more instrumentation so again i think one of the things that i loved about rush is they're never like super like hey we have to have the verse here and then the chorus here and like it has to be the same so i love how they were bringing different things within the verse or the chorus and i think um they achieved that here as well um and then like uh the middle part like I don't know if you call them solos, but really liked how the bass, the synth, and the drums played off each other in that metal section as well. So yeah, just really love that song and liked it before and still like it now. Yeah, we're we're in lockstep on this song, Chris, because <laughs> uh, I was I, I agree like what you were saying because I think hearing this against a lot of the bigger hits, it does, it doesn't stand out as much, but hearing it as the first song on that first out on, on hold your fire, it really does stand out. And I heard it. I was like, Whoa, like, I don't think I ever appreciated this song as much as I do now. Um, and yeah, like you said, it was like the last song that they wrote for the album. I think they have a pretty good track record when it comes to last minute songs on albums. Like we've liked pretty much all of them, whether it's vital signs or new world, man, yeah, this one, this was one of the reasons it's called Force 10 is because it was the 10th song written for the album. Um, and I think it's like their most daring song on the album. It's it is very risky. It is it never lets up. Um, it's just incredible from beginning to end. Um, and it has a lot of the again, like a lot of the sound experimentation that they had done. It feels like it maybe could have been on power windows, but it has so much momentum to it um so yeah i i really i really love this song it's my favorite on uh hold your fire absolutely and i actually didn't choose it for anything because i assumed it would come up and i was like maybe i want to give more attention to other things <laughs> so you know but yeah i just i really love this song like it, i really do think this this is the one song of the songs on these two albums for me that like deserves to stand with the best that that they've done um, yeah, so let's move on then to uh, our Handle with Kid Gloves section. This is where we talk about songs that we maybe don't like as much. Um, this is, I'm really curious about this because Chris and I talked a little bit off air. We didn't reveal what our picks were, um, but I had mentioned to Chris, I'm like, I think there's there's one song that I expect like more than me <laughs> to to pick. And I'm curious if that ended up happening. We'll see. Uh, I don't think we put any money on that bet, but, uh, but Should we I will start see. again just to, just to let the tension build. Sure. Yeah. Or maybe I'll, maybe I'll puncture that tension with a long, sharp needle. We'll see. <laughs> I went, I mean, of course I'm going with the song and presto because it is my least favorite of the two albums. I was considering doing Ty or Tayshawn. I'm not sure how it's supposed to be pronounced. Tayshawn probably. Um, because that faux doing the air quotes, that faux like general Asian sound effect at the beginning, a lot of musicians in the eighties were doing that and I don't like it. I didn't go with that. So consider that a, a dishonorable mention. <clears throat> I went with show don't tell, which is the opening song in presto largely because it embodies for me, a lot of the issues of the lesser songs in both of these albums and that it's very repetitive not really a bunch of surprises, not really very interesting, either musically or lyrically. And it's also it's the opening for me, like the biggest sin is it's the opening song on the album. And as we've talked about before, Rush has some absolute fucking bangers as album openers, whether like in, in cases where it's not even uh, like going back to the very first album. It's not even the best song on the album, but it's the perfect opener for that album. And it, it's it it hits all the right notes to get you in the mood to listen to uh, to the songs that are coming up. So Rush is like just one of the all time great bands when it comes to great album openers. And the opening in Presto here, again, is just kind of bland, not bad. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know yet if Rush can write a bad or, or like or a bad sounding song, but not interesting, not engaging, not challenging, which is which in a way is its own form of damnation um to, to throw out a rush song to say that it's not challenging or interesting and it's the first song of the album so it doesn't you, you just you don't get off on the right foot from the go 
Uh, and that kind of that hobbles the album from the beginning. Did I steal the thunder from anyone, or is the thunder still building? It's funny you mentioned. Uh, was it Tai Shen? I don't know. Tai Shan. Tai Shan. Yeah. Uh, uh, funny, funny you mentioned that as dishonorable mention, because I was gonna <laughs> mention it as my dishonorable mention as well. I think the group mentioned like, oh, this shouldn't have been on the album. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah so but at least they um, owned up to it like i don't think genesis oh sorry ever apologized for illegal alien that deserves much more of an apology in my opinion <laughs> indeed indeed <laughs> justin perhaps i'll go next and um uh, i while i didn't pick the same song i did pick a song on presto and i would say it has a similar me reason for picking it and it was a uh, war paint um ah okay interesting and it kind of similar to why you picked the first song. I feel like normally on albums, like songs three to five are like your biggest hitting songs. And to me, uh, I really like the third and fifth songs on the album. And I'll talk about one of them later. But this song, I felt similar to you. I felt a bit repetitive, especially in the chorus uh, and at the end with like boys and girls together (laughs) i think i've mentioned this before like i don't have a problem with like happy sounding songs but to me like like happy sounding and just like not especially or like very simple happy sounding just doesn't do it for me uh so there's a lot of like happy synth kind of sounds that like i felt were kind of boring um uh, I just I get I go back to like I I don't know exactly I haven't looked into like the lyrics exactly what the sounds about but I didn't really boys and girls together and the mirror thing I don't know just didn't really <laughs> ring for me or I don't know it just didn't really hit it for me so I thought like some of the verse parts of it were interesting and like created some mystery but then when it got into the chorus I don't know it just kind of lost me wasn't a fan of the song and i think it kind of captured how i felt about some of the songs on presto where when it got to the chorus um like even as you mentioned with like show me don't tell me like yeah very repetitive and not interesting choruses to me so (laughs) that that's kind of what i was mentioning before just in um in like some of the courses um i don't know if you're gonna mention this song but like i also felt that way with like superconductor uh, and I didn't pick that song because I, I liked a lot of the song besides the chorus and except the weird part where the part where he says superconductor as well as like Kenny Lee saying, watch his every move. <laughs> I just very remember the chorus of that song. That did not stick with me at all. <laughs> that that cl- clearly just washed over my brain. Yeah, that song almost sounds like it was like meant to be a hit, but I don't know. Like, and I think it, it maybe had some minor success, but definitely not to the level of anything, you know, up to that point. So the edginess of the rest of the song. And then just, again, just loses me on the chorus part. That was a thing that I noticed and just happened to highlight it for war paint. But <laughs> I don't think that was a song you went with, Justin. So I'm curious. It wasn't. We all should have picked. Uh, I'm still a little bit. Uh, shell-shocked by Noah taking down Show Don't Tell, which is my favorite song of Presto. Um, but really? I may get into that later because it actually comes up. It'll come up again. <laughs> so I maybe will save that for now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Warpaint, uh, I think is, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's okay. I certainly don't have any uh, allegiance to it. Um, I, I don't know if I have a firm grasp of what the song is about, Chris, but my guess is that it has something to do with like trying to like erase the reflections that we see of ourselves. And I think that's what the paint the mirror black part is about. And there's a lot of interesting, some of the lyrics are pretty interesting in that song. Like there seems to be like a girl who's putting makeup on and like what that, you know, is like you're creating this appearance for the world to see. And you're, but you're looking at it through your own eyes and you're using that to judge how you actually look to the rest of the world. So I think there's a lot going on in that song, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorites, but maybe not one that I like really, you know, heavily dislike necessarily. 
Um, my pick is actually the one that you guys mentioned as your dishonorable mention. <laughs> so it is uh, Tyshawn, and um, it is the one song on both these albums that uh, managed to make me cringe multiple times listening to it. Um, <laughs> you know, this is inspired by a trip that Neil took to China. Uh, it refers to Mount Tai and about this uh, feeling that overwhelmed him at the time. I seriously think uh, when China sang to me might be the whitest lyric that Neil has ever written. <laughs> um, it's just That's not another part that my brain just blacked out. <laughs> yes. And he, <laughs> he says it multiple times too. That really, yeah, just another, other kind of corny lyrics. And actually that is the precise word corny that Alex used to describe the song. So, so we're not alone here. Um, you know, there was magic in the air. I mean, come on that, that's not up to snuff with the best of what Neil has written. And I, I just think the song, both lyrically and musically, I think it traffics in some unintentional Orientalism. It just, and I think it's it's so vague too, which also doesn't help it. Um, I wouldn't say it's quite as bad as the East Asian riff from A Passage to Bangkok in that regard. Um, and I certainly don't think there was any offense meant uh, by the band, but I do think it was an ill-conceived decision to include this song on the album it's you know is it a little bit catchy i have to admit yeah but it's also very cringy um it and i i just don't think it captures like whatever neil felt and whatever like you know major assumptions he's making about china or its history um just really rings hollow um and uh, i just think it's not the best example of of rush in general on this album I can see why they have deigned not to really. I don't believe it was ever performed live, um, and I can kind of see why. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this was this was my pick. I I thought for sure some other people were going to pick it, but uh, but you know I live to be wrong sometimes. <laughs> so. Well, it was dishonorably mentioned twice. <laughs> That's true. Yep. Which mm-hmm. adds up to which adds up to a pick. That's that's how the math works. Yeah, and just real quick, I will say there was one other song I was I was thinking about for this section, just to maybe be a little less obvious, just because of the song that is one of those songs that managed to be both catchy but also kind of annoying at the same time. And you want to talk about repetitive? The song "Hand Over Fist" really mm-hmm. don't really can't stand it. <laughs> like, Perfect title, actually, for that. Um, I don't. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I'm assuming that didn't come up for you guys in the remaining picks. You know, no, like... the third, the third, <laughs> the third song that I had in my list to consider was "Lock and Key." Uh, which oh, interesting. I, I, I didn't, which I didn't like for similar reasons to "Show Don't Tell," but but it was the opener mm-hmm. that that. Um, put it over the edge for me gotcha but guys let's talk about some other uh, let's talk about some rush lexicon now with uh our words of the prophets this is of course our favorite lyrics and uh i'm gonna actually start us off this time i'm gonna go with a lyric from chain lightning which is the second song on presto just because i really i really like this song in general but this particular moment sticks with me which goes when the moment dies the spark still flies reflected in another pair of eyes. Um, I just really like the hopefulness of this song because I think this song is very much about recognizing the power of connections between people. And I just love the idea of like chain lightning being that thing, this thing that is, you know, kind of violent, but also like brilliant, like literally brilliant (laughs) at the same time. Um, And I, I just think this passage to me represents this idea of everything we do has an effect on other people. And I think it could be easy to forget that sometimes, that everything we do has an effect, even if we think it doesn't have much meaning or it, you know, or something we do has an endpoint. It's this idea that it continues to grow in other people. Um, I was actually reminded a little bit when I saw this lyric of a lyric from the song Biko by Peter Gabriel, which goes, you can blow out a candle, but you can't blow out a fire. Um, because I, I think this this song is about how things can be eternal, how things can can last beyond what we do, how they become inspiration. And I think that's an actual word used in the song to other people. And I just I really like the hopefulness of the song. It's a little bit marred by that. You know, that's nice at the end of the song. I would have cut that entirely. But uh, but this particular lyric, I think, is really good. And, and again, very hopeful and uh and really resonated with me so this was definitely something that that stuck with me but um chris where did you go for this section 
That's nice. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the pick? No, no. <laughs> uh, well, I promise I'd go back to the song. Uh, Open Secrets. Uh, as Justin mentioned, I really like this song, so I don't want to go back to it. Uh, I didn't pick this part of it, but I, I found it interesting, the parts where he was mentioning, like, I was looking out the window when I should have been looking at your face. Uh, so an interesting, like, kind of commentary on, like, important to be, like, looking to uh, understand the other person. And I think part of that is, like, recognizing, like, hey, like, there's stuff that, you know, people can be feeling under the surface and we may have our own things that we're keeping under the surface. Um, so the, the lyrics I picked were, the things that we're concealing will never let us grow. Time will do its healing. You got to let it go. Pretty simple lyrics, but I think hold a lot of meaning behind them. I don't know, just really resonated with me. Like, it feels very, like, cathartic. If I had some sort of secret, I feel like I would be... <laughs> prompted to go to someone and just talk about it after hearing those lyrics just just feel very um i feel i felt really felt the emotion in the way that getty delivered those those lyrics so um that part just um kind of stood out to me yeah and it's it's you know in addition to being a song about being open with people it's also about being emotionally like aware of of other people and and you know, things that they might be concealing that may be influencing why they do things a certain way or why they say certain things. It, it has a pretty mature perspective on it because it's not just, 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 you know, it's not just describing it as a one-way street. It's really saying that both parties need to be open and aware and sensitive um, about these kinds of things. And I think that's a real, you know, I think that's a very mature and, and um, emotionally intelligent thing for, for Neil to, to recognize. For sure. And uh, Noah, what words of the prophets will you be consulting? Well, uh, since it is my nature, I am going to go back to my limelight pick, second nature. Um, specifically a verse towards the end, which like like with a lot of my picks for this is just it, it, it speaks to where I am at right now mentally and trying to deal with my own personal life and with the, the larger world around me. So it is the second post-chorus part towards the end of the song it's hard to take the heat it's hard to lay blame to fight the fire while we're feeding the flames a really powerful and relatable um and meaningful sentiment to me is when you when you're trying to fight something but you're not honestly not sure or maybe you know that some aspect of of what you're doing is is part of the problem you know, or if you know that it, that in some way you're part of the problem, how can you be part of the solution? Is that even possible? Very relevant to our world right now. Yeah, I think we're finding that with a lot of Rush lyrics, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, quite a lot of them. And they were all written 30, 40 years ago, which is a little depressing, but we soldier on. Yeah, I, I like that lyric too, Noah. That that stuck out to me too when I was listening to this. And and I like what you said about like maybe not even having the awareness, right? Like it's again, I keep coming back to that word apparently. And it's but it's like it's an acknowledgement. It's it's kind of taking a uh a perspective from outside, looking at it from the outside in and you know, trying to bring our attention to it. Um so yeah, it's just I think it is I think it is very effective. Yeah, we often lament of the things that other people aren't doing when maybe we need to look at the things that we can control. And that means looking mm -hmm. inward and saying, is there something that I can do? Maybe it means like being more patient with the people who I have conflict with, or are there things that I can do to kind of help the situation and, um, you know, help put out the fire? Yeah, we're definitely at that point now in in Rush's lyrics where we're no longer just talking about wizards and towers. Uh, like it's it's a little the lyrics are a little more difficult to parse. <laughs> like, and I think they're very socially relevant, but they don't feel tied to any one thing. So it makes it even more, you know, it makes it, I think, more challenging to try to try to decipher. And especially because of some of the nuances of, uh, you know, of the lyrics and of the of these ideas. 
Um, yeah, and I know some people have even said that they think Hold Your Fire might have the bet. Like I've heard some people say it has his best lyrics. Um, I don't know if I'd agree with that, but I definitely have. I think there's a lot of good ones, so I don't think it's. Uh, you know, I think there's definitely an argument to be made there. But uh, let's move away from lyrics and tackle our last category, which is, of course, the magic music that makes our morning mood, which are our favorite musical moments. And uh, I think I'll have you start us out, Noah, on this one. All right. Well, uh, for this, I decided to throw Presto a bone. So uh, I'm picking for my musical moment the opening bass riff in Scars, because for me, that was the one part of the album where it really felt like things were were coming alive and kicking up. Um, and it's just, I mean, I, I'm a sucker for a great bass line. And it just, any, any, a, a good bass line can almost always get me. And this is just a great one. It's a great start to the song. I think it is one of the better songs on the album. Um, and it's one of, Again, like we're talking about the different sounds that they were trying to incorporate into both of these albums, like more synthesizers and Hold Your Fire and more guitar rhythms. Um, In Presto, this was the one moment for me that felt the most like classic Rush instrumentals, which is probably why it stood out and appealed to me so much. That (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that, because, again, I wanted to give some love presto and scars was also my favorite song on the album but i was actually going to highlight the tribal drums ah okay yeah i definitely got the like mystic rhythms kind of vibe from the song and um i think the the drum usage there has some echoes of that but i don't know like what neil pert's setup was but i'm just envisioning like (laughs) like a million different like things when he plays this song because like it feels like every other note he's hitting some other drum (laughs) that we haven't heard before and i am not as familiar with like the drums as i am with like guitar but um yeah i mean to me like sometimes drums doesn't stand out as much for me as guitar but like i definitely felt it and i definitely felt like neil perk could actually achieve like hitting everything at the right time and to it just really gives the song a really interesting feel to it. Really love the uh, bass, and it really feels like the bass is part of the percussion in the song. But I really like how that kind of then made like the drums like the drums wasn't necessarily providing like not just providing the beat, but kind of providing a lot of the the interesting feel to the song. Yeah, what you're imagining, Chris, is is pretty much what he was playing so my <laughs> my understanding is that like everything even like because there's a lot of electronic there's a lot of electronic drumming on here but it is like he was playing this live there's no overdubs on the studio track which means he's playing it live and he's hitting a different thing for all those different sounds and um apparently it was like very difficult to get right wow that's amazing yeah so that's that's what i did not real. i would not have guessed that just and maybe I should have guessed that because it's Neil Peart, but like I just assumed like how many other artists have probably done, you know, overdubs of different drumming. So it sounds like there's, you know, all these different sounds happening at the same time. But no, that's that's not the way they go. So I just think it's really funny that for as much as they talk about approaching this period of the band as being producers, they're still good players like they're still amazing players um and i think this song i honestly it makes me appreciate the song that much more i agree with you i do really like this song reading the uh, contents under pressure book which is a, a band biography um by martin popoff he he actually talks about this song as being what he describes it as talking heads inspired funk now at this point being a big talking heads fan I actually can see that quite a bit, um, and especially the uh, Remain in Light album from 1980. There's a lot of similar rhythms here, and I would I'd be shocked if that wasn't at least partially an influence on this song. Um, although I know that Neil's talked about this being inspired by a trip that he took, a, a, a biking trip that he took in, in Africa and seeing different tribal patterns there. This is, yeah, I really like this song. I think the lyrics are pretty interesting. Um, and yeah, it just, it's, I think there's a lot of good precedent for it as well and something different for the band to do. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting song. So for mine, I'm going to go same album, but I am going to go with Show Don't Tell. And 
uh, because it is my favorite song just on to the show album. me up i don't know like i have to say no like for me this is like a really good opener i mean you've got that incredibly funky kind of opening with with the guitar and the bass and then as it goes through the song i think that it it kind of evolves a little bit i could have talked about the the chorus which i really love i really dig on this song i like that it kind of keeps building a little bit becomes a little more intent a little more intentional each time um, and it almost like feels like he could keep going into perpetuity or something. So I could have gone with those moments. However, I'm going to go with a relatively small moment, but it's one that I think really makes the song for me. I want to isolate Getty's voice. And it's particularly the, the time when he first says show, don't tell. It's that quaver on tell, which I think is so good. What it does, I think, is it kind of like ends up extending the phrase. It's almost like I think the effect for me is that it almost like creates this like lingering sort of aversion to that telling to the thing that the song is very much against. So it's doing something thematically in the song in addition to being an interesting sound. And uh, I just always really love it. It's like a nice little it's like a nice little touch. But I think it's very um, essential to what the song is about. You know, is it a super experimental song? I wouldn't say that. Um, But I think it is for me, it's like very interesting. I think it is like kind of funky and and very much in your face. Um, I think it's pretty explicit of (laughs) what it's about. I don't know if it's a reference to maybe like Harry Truman with, uh, you know, I'm from Missouri. You have to show me like it's (laughs) like that's 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 what the song feels like. It feels very um, I mean, a Harry Truman reference would be par for the course for these guys. <laughs> but it just feels very direct and it feels very uh, in your face in a way I really like. And I really like that moment, especially. So, yeah, I don't know. I just really dig this song. I don't know. Yeah, both both albums. I don't know. The first song is my favorite. And then, you know, I don't want to say it's downhill from there, but maybe it's not as good. Um, But yeah, any kind of closing thoughts on these albums guys anything else you think any other things that you wanted to mention that maybe we maybe we didn't because there are definitely a lot of songs this time that we didn't get to discuss any anything else you wanted to say about this album or these albums no i I think i pretty much said my piece i mean i i would still say even with the stuff that i decided i do like there's not a whole lot that i'm gonna i'm probably gonna revisit um going forward compared to other albums yeah again not that either of them are bad because we're we we are still we're still yet to discuss an album where I would say oh this is a bad record don't listen to it yeah I'm in a similar boat I feel like both of these are on the lower end for me at this point um I I do want to spotlight some other songs that I did like that I didn't get to talk about um I really like turn the page on hold your fire I think that's a really good song and I I think there's some interesting bits on the song presto especially the acoustic guitar which keeps coming in I really like that and I like the sentiment of that song. I maybe mean, don't like that song as much as some others we've talked about, but um, yeah, there's definitely some good stuff there. Um, oh, and Red Tide, I think, is actually quite a good song. And again, very, very relevant to our times today, um, environmentally speaking. So I talked about like, I guess I want to give a quick shout out to uh, The Pass also. That's right. Yeah. Um, at first, I thought like, oh, this, sound, this song sounds very mellow. Actually, really enjoyed the, I don't know if it'd be considered the chorus or like lead up to the chorus, uh, but I really liked um, as it started talking about um, like all of us get lost in the darkness. Uh, really like that that section of it. Uh, really like the guitar play in that section and the lead into like turn around and walk the razor's edge. Yeah, and and that's uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Chris, because that was one I I thought was going to come up because that's I think I mentioned before, like that's the one song from Presto that the band seems to really like a lot. I think it's a pretty good song. I don't know if it stands out to me as much as it does for them. It was inspired by um, Teen Suicide. And it was something that Neil like really wanted to like research and make sure he was doing justice to. But that's a song where I, I really love the I really love the the chorus. And I think it's you know, it's it feels very heartfelt, feels like it's again, I think it's and something that maybe Presto would bring up quite a bit thematically in the lyrics of like wanting to reach out to people um, like wanting to forge these connections and wanting people to know that you're there. Um, I think that's really uh, pretty well illustrated on um, on the pass. A quick thing I'll mention is Time Stand Still. Right, is which we that, didn't really talk about. Is that on The Greatest Hits? It is. It's the last song in The Greatest Hits from uh, 1974 to 1987. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, growing up, I did not like that song. But as I listened to it more and more, like, it's definitely grown on me to the point where, like, it's definitely one of my favorite songs. That was on, on my shortlist on for my limelight pick. That came, mm, yeah. that, that was, that was in very close contention. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised it didn't come up. Yeah, I mean, that's what, well, I guess that's what, maybe if we had Luke on here, <laughs> we'd get some of these, but yeah, and, and that also, along with some other songs, but most prominently features Amy Mann's uh, vocals, and um, I don't know, Chris, how well you know Amy Mann um, as a musician, but you'd probably best know her as the voice of Opal on Steven Universe. Oh, wow. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> yep. Wow. Okay. Wow. Ha- couldn't let that one go by. <laughs> um, and of course, people. She's probably best known as a solo artist. I believe at the time she was in a group. Um, and some other fun facts about this song. Um, before they got Amy Mann to do the vocals for it, they actually she was not their first choice to do the lyrics, or sorry, do the vocals rather. Um, their first choice was Cindy Lauper, who was not available. Their second choice was Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders. Both of these musicians would have been pretty busy at this point in the late 80s so i'm not surprised they weren't able to get them but um but i think amy mann is is in my opinion is just as good if not better so um so i'm all for that all right so let's talk about other artists we've been listening to now and uh i think i'll start us off this time uh and do something a little bit different i'm gonna go with a little bit of different genre maybe than what we have been talking about uh I've been really enjoying listening to Ella Fitzgerald, who, of course, is considered widely considered one of the greatest voices of the 20th century, if not the best. (laughs) She's definitely in the conversation at the very least. And she mostly sang jazz was her primary genre, but she also did some stuff pop. She did soul blues. And I always think it's funny that uh Frank Sinatra called her the one performer that that made him nervous because of how good she was. That's also that's pretty funny, Frank. But also, I think speaks to just how, you know, how um, imposing a a musical figure she is and um, and what a legend she is. And I, I she's very much known for this smooth tone. I think the thing that really stands out to me about her voice is her impeccable diction, how every Every syllable, every consonant especially, stands out. You can tell exactly what she's saying. And I don't know, do I need every singer to sing that way? Maybe not. But it is something I wish more singers could learn from. <laughs> because it's so practiced, it's so intentional, and it really is, I think, a reason why um, why her voice really stands out. I think this is especially clear on her rendition of Irving Berlin's Get Thee Behind Me, Satan, which is just a really great song and describes this woman who is tempted uh, by the advances of a man and about her resistance. I think what I like about Ella's version of it is that the diction, which I mentioned before, grants this kind of formality to everything she's saying. So it almost doesn't feel as sincere when she's talking about not wanting to be tempted when it's so clear that she does. And there's a certain point where she goes from saying, get thee behind me, Satan. And then immediately after, stay where you are, it's too late. And then the way that she continues to sing, it's too late, it's clear, it's cathartic. It's this release. And it's just this, it's almost like this is what she's wanted the whole time. It doesn't feel like she ever wanted to resist and i just love how the 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 smoothness of her voice the softness of it how it amplifies that this sense of of really wanting this thing that she's not supposed to um and it feels just very it feels very liberating it feels feels pure there's nothing like it doesn't feel sinister at all um i just really love that i just really love the work and i've heard the original version of this song and it just doesn't have the, quite the same effect and just really shows how ella even though did she didn't write this song she really was able to make it her own so um i know i don't know if, you know it's probably a controversial opinion that i think ella Fitzgerald is really talented but uh yeah just something a little bit different and and just an amazing artist and and really been fortunate to listen to a lot of her stuff so yeah, so that's my that's what I've been listening to recently. Noah, why don't you go next? What what has been good for you recently? So I'm also going to go in a bit of a different direction. Um, I am in I'm in the process of trying to get a few more films out of the way from last year and doing uh, my usual tradition of doing not only my top ten films list but 
uh, every year that I can, I try to do a top film scores list. And this year, returning to that list is definitely going to be the person I want to highlight, and that is the uh, musician and uh, primarily known for film and television scoring, Ludwig Göransson, a Swedish musician who is definitely most well-known for scoring all of Ryan Coogler's filmography, as, as, I mean, and I mean really his entire filmography, but most famously, of course, uh, both Black Panther films. And he won an Oscar for the um, first Black Panther movie. Um, he's also done a lot of TV themes, most notably The Mandalorian. I think he's also won a Grammy and an Emmy, kind of shooting in the dark. I'm not entirely sure what, what other accolades he's won for those, but he's done a couple of notable television scores as well. Um, I think his stuff is just great. For me, he is one of the new, like, great talents in film composition. You know, and, and you know, perfect as, like, a next-generation successor to, you know, older established figures like um, Howard Shore, James Horner, John Williams, uh, Hans Zimmer, and the like. And, I mean, the... The, the crowning for me, the, the crowning work that he's done so far has been his work on the Black Panther movies. I loved uh, the I mean, Wakanda Forever as a film is going to be on my my favorites list for this year. Uh, but the music is also going to be in the top five as well, because I love how he takes a lot of the themes and motifs um, from the first movie and expands them. He, he takes the music in different directions. There's more electric guitars that come in at really powerful moments. Uh that amplify the effect of the scene that they're being used in. And that's what music should be like really good film music is noticeable, but not, but in a way that enhances the experience and it doesn't take you out like, Oh, that's interesting music. And now you're not paying attention to the film. Like a really good film score will, will expand on that uh, and become as, as central to the experience as the dialogue and the performances and the visuals. Um, and that's what his music does. So I, I will soon be going back through um, I'll, I'll soon be doing a re-listen to the score for Wakanda Forever. And I have always been, I've gone back regularly to the Black Panther score over the years because it's so fucking good. But that goes, that goes for all of his work. So uh, most people have, just by virtue of the fact that most people have seen at least Black Panther and probably a lot, either of the Creed movies, most people have been exposed to his work. Uh, but I don't think it's, he's really become a household name yet. Um, for his work, which I think I, I think we're getting there. And I think Wakanda Forever will be the next step on the way uh, to getting him the attention that he absolutely deserves. Yeah, talking about the, the music that, like, even if I don't necessarily um, don't necessarily like, doesn't immediately come to the forefront. Like, it's definitely music where like you can mention it, and then I can hear it in my head. Like you mentioned, like Mandalorian, and like you immediately think of like the theme song there and I can immediately like hear it in my head. So definitely, um, yeah, need to give more, uh, uh, more of a listen to his work, I guess. Yeah. And I know, like you said, Noah, he's definitely best known for like black Panther at this point. And I really like that score, but I got to say like one, one thing I was very impressed by is I really love his score for Tenet, which is a oh, film that's that right. I've I seen... forgot that he'd done Tenet. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've seen it twice and I liked it much better the second time. But I, I I mentioned that because I really appreciated the score that much more the second time. And he was not the original composer. It was supposed to be Hans Zimmer, but Hans Zimmer was busy. I know. Crazy that Hans Zimmer was busy. I think I, I think in my mind, I assumed it had to have been Hans Zimmer because it's Christopher yeah, Nolan. And it's right. always Hans Zimmer. Sure. Yeah, it's a safe assumption to make usually. But I just I love the um like has this like pounding intensity. It's almost like. I don't know. To, to me, this that score is almost like the, you know, like the vein in your forehead throbbing or something like it's just like this, like real like sense of tension throughout the whole thing. I can't imagine that movie without it. It's a big reason why like it was so exciting for me to watch that second time, even though I knew exactly what was coming. I haven't seen everything beforehand. So I just really was impressed by that, by that score and and his other work. I don't want to I, I don't want to short shrift any of that, but. You know, I think when you're able to, like, take the place of someone like Hans Zimmer and still turn in something that can, like, stand on its own, then I think you're you're pretty talented. And so. and also what I think is fascinating is, uh, you know, Ryan Coogler is, is clearly and this is one of the reasons why I love him. He is a guy who has gone out of his way to bring in all sorts of African-American artists uh, to work on his films 
mm-hmm. you know, not just just actors, but also like the tech people, the sound designers. Ruth Carter, who does the costumes for the Black Panther movies, is yeah. an absolute legend. Um, so he really brings in black Americans to focus on his movies. But apparently for the music, he really trusts Ludwig Göransson to to do whatever it is he needs the music to do because he scored all of his films so far. And like Göransson is very much not a black American. He is an extremely <laughs> white guy from Sweden. So I find it fascinating that he's apparently the guy that Ryan Coogler was like, yes, he knows the sound that I need for my for my soundtrack. He's going to give me what I need. And he does it. Well, Chris, I'm going to assume. Well, I, I'll be curious. Did you also go with a film composer or did you go a completely different direction? We'll, we'll go back to uh, the rock genre for for mine. <laughs> I suppose a lot of people are already aware of this, but uh, very disheartened when I heard about Taylor Hawkins uh, death, the drummer for the Foo Fighters. But I guess Silver Lining was I kind of uh, went back and listened to a lot of their uh, more recent albums. I I listened to them a lot in high school. Uh, definitely consider them pop rock for sure. Um, I still really like them a lot. Like Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace. I felt was like at the time I felt was like their last good album. I wasn't as big of a fan of their next two albums. Uh, Sonic Highways and the one before that, Wasting Light. Uh, so perhaps like I kind of like shied away from their newer stuff. But going back, uh, really enjoyed Concrete and Gold uh, as well as um, their 2021 release, uh, Medicine at Midnight. Definitely felt like they kind of returned to uh, the sound that that I like so much about them uh, in both of those albums. Uh, specifically, wanted to highlight concrete and gold obviously like run was a big song from there uh and i really like that song uh but i want to highlight one that maybe is lesser known which is make it right uh really catchy song really really fun song really like the 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 guitar riffs in that one as well as like the way that he sings it is really uh unique and stands out on the album as well as kind of a uh homage to him really enjoyed going back and and listening to those last two albums there definitely uh recommend both of them yeah i think that's still very depressing um loss for the musical community and um you know i I think the food fighters are very you know because they're so popular like they've made a lot of connections and there was like a huge outpouring for um for him and his family and for his friends and i think it shows like the kind of um, musical journey you've had when everyone from like Ozzy Osbourne to Elton John is like saying good things about you. Like, I'm really glad for you, Chris, that like it prompted you to like listen to, to the Foo Fighters and, and listen to maybe some of the stuff that doesn't get talked about as much. Cause I don't know if they're like as considered as relevant today as they, they might've been at one point. I know for me, it's like, it's just been a little depressing. Um, and to think about them going forward is like very strange to me. Even though Taylor Hawkins was not the original drummer for Foo Fighters, it was mostly Dave when it was like a solo project. But he just feels like it just feels like wrong almost to to do it without him at this point. I don't know what their plans are. If they're planning on getting a new drummer, I, I'm going to assume that's what they're doing. But yeah, you're right. There's there's so much good stuff uh, to listen to. I think about his drums on something like Stacked Actors from There's Nothing Left to Lose. Um, I can't imagine that song without that drum beat. It's not like I don't know if he was like reinventing, you know, the drum set necessarily, but just like his fundamentals and um, and his creativity within that sphere, I just think um, was so unmistakable. Um, Also, give a shout out to him. I remember when Rush got inducted into the Hall of Fame. I was very impressed with Taylor Taylor Hawkins doing the drumming, doing 2112, uh, the overture part. And I was very impressed by his drumming on that. And that's not easy to match <laughs> for any drummer. So, but yeah, definitely, definitely a Foo Fighters fan myself. And I agree with you, Chris, like not everything hits necessarily all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, I did really like those last two albums for sure. So I'm glad to hear you mention them. All right, guys, we've done it. Um, I'm unfortunate. Like I said, we didn't have Luke on, but we're hoping to have him again very soon. Um is there anything else you guys wanted to spotlight before we close this out? In the words of Gary Lee, 
That's entertainment. Well, Chris, we can continue to find you on these podcasts. Uh, I know that you'll be joining us for the rest of this run, so we look forward to that. Um, if our listeners want any more entertainment, specifically from myself and Justin, you should check out the previous musical podcast we did, also with my brother Luke Martin, Pod on the Rooftops. Or you could hear us blather about movies and television over at the Cinema Joes, which we do with our third co-host there, Alex Marcus. And that is yes. on the popbreak.com. I should just say that uh, Pod on the Rooftops is on popbreak.com. Cinema Joes is not. Um, right. Sorry. Yeah. That is an independent <laughs> entity self-financing right entrepreneurs um but yes and you can find us uh we're on twitter still at this point believe it or not uh at cinema joes uh you can find me at the cinemaverick.com that's my website i'm also on letterbox at the cinemaverick at the time this is released i will have my best of 2021 uh on my website i am looking forward to Finally, watching all my backlogged 2022 movies so I can get another late uh, annual retrospective, hopefully at least before this year ends. We'll see if that's possible. And uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me. And you can find Luke Martin at his YouTube channel. He is not a country star, so look for someone who's more of a drummer. There's there's someone with that same name. But uh, yeah, so that will do it for us. Um we want to thank all of our listeners uh, for sticking with us. And we would like to wish a fond farewell to kings, queens, and in-betweens. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening.